inside game just yesterday It's made all that I learned The emptiness of life examined Hello out there and welcome to another episode of Things I Learned While Learning Other Things. This is an attempt by me, Joe Moraghan, and my brother, J.S., to provide you with a series of interesting, informative, educational, and we hope enjoyable stories that will help you navigate those high seas of life. Today's episode, our 134th podcast, is our latest addition to our mini-series that we have entitled Bioblasts. This is Bioblast number one, Bite-Sized Taste of Notable Men, subtitled um, in this instance, I really should have changed seats with that guy so he might have taken better care of Eddie and Alex too. Well, you'll see. These these Bioblast episodes are designed to provide our listeners with bite-sized, tasty morsels, insights into the lives, um, the accomplishments, the failures, or sometimes just the plain craziness that, that, that makes up and colors the existence of the protagonists of our lightning quick bioblasts. These tasty morsels, biographical appetizers, if you will, or as diverse, if you prefer, of the lives of the famous, the infamous, the rich, the poor, the notorious, the glorious, or there may be even people like you, like me. Well, though, in reality, they're probably not people like you and me. But anyway, the recently reported death of Lisa Marie Presley has brought to closure what Presley herself um, had publicly described as a life filled with far more than its fair share of turmoil, trauma, and tragedy. Now, I've read little of her life, but from the little I have read, I believe she's told the absolute truth when describing a sad, very tumultuous existence. I really do. With four ex-husbands, a son, sadly, whom was a suicide victim with long-term litigation, the unexplained loss of $100 million of her personal fortune, and an inheritance from a father whose record sales have exceeded a billion units, a billion units, albums and 45s. No one really knows for sure just how many units Elvis has sold. Then there were the rumors of drugs and alcohol problems, all of it a a means of destruction and a formula for a lifetime of mania and despondency, a life that Lisa Marie Presley had endured rather than lived. You know, a hideous, tormented, despairing existence. Though, again, I readily admit I remain unenlightened as to the extent of the totality of the turmoil that marred Presley's life as I never felt it was in my sphere of interest to keep abreast of the turmoil that so oppressed and hounded Lisa Marie Presley like the furies of humanities. I mean, I just didn't. And I I am not now, and nor was I ever a reader of People Magazine or the National Enquirer, nor am I even sure that they still exist as publications as I speak these words. I'm, I'm not a part of social media. So Lisa Marie's travails have mostly escaped my notice. 
In fact, the closest I ever came to Lisa Marie Presley, and, and that's like saying that the Earth is close to Mars. And, and I guess when, when looked at from, say, Uranus, that would be true. Now, I once toured Graceland in 2012, the home-turned-museum of uh, Lisa Marie's insanely talented but insanely tortured father who died there, tormented, among other things, by a severity of constipation, a nightmarish beyond belief uh, situation with a colon that was swollen to three times the size of a normal human being and packed with more than 30 pounds of dried, compacted fecal material, some of which was determined to be as, as old as four months, if you can believe it, according to his autopsy report. Elvis's anguish had to exceed exponentially even the God-forsaken levels of torment which drove Martin Luther to write so, so feverishly of his prayers to an almighty God, begging that vengeful God, please, please, and, you know, to quote Bob Dylan, that I shall be released. Or if the Christian God doesn't do it for you, then your head might turn to the fates of tortured seamen during the days of the Portuguese and the Spanish imperialistic ages, whom with no ideas as to the values uh, of lemons, um, would beg of Poseidon, god of the sea, and, and then ask of fellow seamen to scrape their insides with spatulas, anything with a hope, a, a level of hope, you know, only expressed in, say, Coleridge's rhyme of the ancient mariner, um, anything that might move their constricted bowels, even a rusty saltwater spatula was worth a try. God, Elvis, he had to have been beyond what we know the word pain to mean. And, and there's no doubt that Elvis's inconceivably painful condition was not relieved in any way by the 9,000 plus pills prescribed to him in the months leading up to his death at age 42 by Dr. Feelgood known to us these days, us plebeians, as Dr. Nick. The evidence is clear. Dr. Nick would not have been a big believer in Nancy Reagan's Just Say No to Drugs program that the Reagans would announce just a few years later. No, he would not have been a believer. And Elvis's Dr. Nick, a medicine man, would not have been hemmed in, confined by, nor would he appear to have been committed, uh, you know, a committed believer to the duties demanded of doctors by the ancient 2,400-plus-year-old Greek Hippocratic Oath with its stated motto, primum non nocere, first do no harm. I mean, this is a standard of conduct by which Western doctors, since the time of Hippocrates, Hippocrates have dedicated themselves. Oh. But it meant very little to this witch doctor in the state of Tennessee. But then, but, but then it's worth recalling that it's the state of Tennessee, and residents didn't think much of Charles Darwin either, and all that theory of evolution BS either. I ain't no monkey kind of response. Hence the Scopes monkey trial, Clarence Darrow, William James Bryan, and all that followed. I noted that during my Graceland tour, 
2012 that out of respect for Elvis, the Presley family declared off-limits to patrons the entirety of the second floor and the bathroom upon which floor? At the foot of the toilet, Elvis pajamas, pajama bottoms found around his ankles was found dead by his 21-year-old girlfriend. Elvis's spirit evidently had already left the building, as was so often said. American interest in all things morbid, being what it is, I gather that the understandable Presley family decision to deem that the shrine of a bathroom was off-limits to tourists, fanatics of the great late Elvis. And that decision had served only to infuriate a number of them who would often demand the right to see the exact location where the great king had been dethroned, if you will. Despite strenuous efforts and long-term movements to end the restriction, the family would not release the restriction. This only makes sense. No satisfaction in opening that door. And I can't move on without mentioning in passing six rather strange developments involving the good Dr. Nick. Number one, Dr. Nick, despite prescribing Elvis 9,000 pills in the last months of his life, Dr. Nick was never convicted of a crime. Number two, years after, two years to be precise, after the death of Elvis Presley, while sitting and watching a football game, Dr. Nick was shot in the chest. He survived and always, always claimed it was a crazed Elvis fan whom had shot him. And I think he's probably right. Number three, though. After Elvis, Dr. Nick became the doctor of choice. For of all people, I mean, of all people, he became the doctor of choice for Jerry Lee Lewis, nicknamed for reasons that would be obvious if you study history. The killer. You'd... (laughs) You know, you'd have thought that a a Vanderbilt med school grad like Dr. Nick would have learned his lesson after Elvis' death. But nope, he served up Jerry Lee Lewis as best he could. Number four, the medical license was suspended for 90 days of Dr. Nick. And he would be then indicted for over-serving 14 customers. I I mean patients, including Elvis and Jerry Lee. And Dr. Dr. Nick's defense at trial was, I cared too much. I cared too much. And by the way, a Tennessee jury agreed with Dr. Nick. Dr. Nick walked on all 14 counts. And then 16 years after Elvis's um, death, the state of Tennessee, after 16 years, revoked the medical license of the good doctor. You know, except for SEC football, things do move more slowly in the American South. Then, then despite lacking a medical license, having no medical license whatsoever, he took a job evaluating medical insurance claims filed by Federal Express employees. Oh my God, this is a great hire, I am sure. But really, in truth, the death of Lisa Marie Presley only served to remind me that just a few days previously, the music world mourned at the news of the death of Jeff Beck, arguably the, you know, one of the greatest guitarists of our time. 
that he had died suddenly at age 78 after mysteriously contracting a fatal strain of meningitis that killed him off in just a matter of days. Now, Rolling Stone magazine's list of about the 100 greatest guitarists in rock and roll history has Jeff Beck rated number five behind only music legends Jimi Hendrix, um, Eric Clapton, Jimmy Page, and Keith Richards. And it's, it, to me, it's interesting to note that on that short list of the five all-time greats, three of them, uh, Page, Clapton, and Jeff Beck, had all been alums of that British band, the Yardbirds. And while Jeff Beck had been with the Yardbirds, they'd released their hit song, I'm a Man. And, and indeed, when it came to being the man, Jeff Beck was the guitarist guitarist. If you are a guitarist and you rank higher than Pete Townsend, Dwayne Allman, um, Chuck Berry, B.B. King, and Eddie Van Halen, well, then you just got to be good. I mean, really good. And Jeff Beck, he was really good. When Jeff Beck performed, the audience didn't think about the vocals because Jeff Beck's play was so lyrical. Spirituality and confidence was evidence and dominated. He made a commitment to being great. He played his guitar all day, every day. And that's what it takes to be a legend. That's what it takes to be great. And well, one, you know, one could play all day, every day and never be Jeff Beck because one needs genius too. And Beck had that rare genius and he brought it to the studio and he brought it to the stage. If, if you wanted to be Jeff Beck, you had better have done your homework because Jeff Beck had game. With all his talent and all that respect, though, all that respect he had earned from fellow musicians, he never did quite accomplish all that sh he should have or all that might have been expected. As great a performer as he was, you know, maybe it was temperament, maybe it was perfectionism on his part, maybe it was... It was mystical or it was a lack of desire to make it to the absolute top on his part. But no band to which Jeff Beck was ever attached, ever accomplished anything resembling the, su the success experienced by the only contemporaries of his with equal talent. Eric Clapton, Jimmy Page, Jimi Hendrix, and Keith Richards, Pete Townsend, or Eddie Van Halen. Jeff Beck was right there. But all-time celebrity, all-time popularity, like Tantalus, remained just beyond the reach of Jeff Beck. It's just the way it was. The ephemeral nature of ultimate success can never be quite defined. But, but this last mention I just made of Eddie Van Halen has reminded me that Eddie Van Halen died during the COVID pandemic, which I think has overshadowed his passing. So that's where we're going to take up the story in our next Bioblast episode involving Eddie Van Halen and me. Well, sort of. And it's and I've subtitled it, I really should have changed seats with that guy so he might have taken better care of Eddie and Alex too. And it's on that point that we'll bring this little show to a close. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed. And we hope you'll tune in next for Eddie Van Halen. Bye-bye.
As I get older, picture grows clear. Too many whiskeys, women and beer. Nights have proved trouble, but mornings are worse. Nothing I've done has ever quenched my thirst. I'm all alone, just sitting in my room. The curtains are closed, overcome by the dawn. Times like these, I just have to admit, I mean nothing to myself, not one little bit. So come on. Walks over my way. I'm a new man, starting today. Tomorrow be different. I'll meet a woman of means. I change the man I became in my teens. No more whiskeys, women or beer. I'll get a job, I'll kick it in gear. I squandered my life, wasted my time. All I ever needed was a partner in crime. I'll be there for her. You just wait and see. I'll be the man I've always wanted to be. So come on, sweet ladies, waltz over my way. I'm a new man, starting today. Just enjoy that last sip of beer. I'll be unrecognizable by the end of the year. Time has grown short, the years have rolled by. Opportunity wasted, and I just don't know why. Day I woke, and all I can say is I've paid the price for living this way. So come on, sweet ladies, waltz over my way. I'm a new man, starting today. So come on. I'm a 